welcome to Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus news and public affairs show featuring music, events, and interviews, both local and global. From the WFHB studios in Bloomington, Indiana, this is Blooming Out. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to Blooming Out. I'm Alex Ashkin. And I am Rachel Jones. And I'm Frankie Preslav. Thank you for joining us for the new edition of Indiana's only queer public affairs radio show. We conveniently post to WFHB.org. So if you can't listen live, you can hear this and other episodes online via the WFHB website. Each and every week, we produce a show by and for the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, and allies communities. Our listeners can always count on us to cover the most pressing issues, interesting people, and latest events reflecting the TLGPQ+, life in Indiana, the U.S., and across the world. Our featured stories tonight focus around topics both at home and abroad. We are going to take a look at a recent disciplinary case in Kentucky regarding a county judge who was in hot water after trying to excuse himself from an adoption case involving same-sex parents. Tonight, we also featured the music of Chicago poet-turned-MC Jamila Woods with her recently released album, Heaven, off of the local music label Jag Jaguar Records. We will be visited by, tonight, LGBT local advocate, social worker, Jean Kapler. Additionally, we will have an extended discussion with Jean regarding systemic change, how to incorporate both local and national advocacy into your life. Judge W. Mitchell Nance has been making headlines after the declaration of duties led the judge to refuse to hear any adoption cases where the potential parents were a same-sex couple. This led to an ethnic investigation, which was later downgraded to a hearing when Nance announced he would resign effective since last Saturday, December 16th. So this is... In my opinion, an interesting case, one, because it is involving our neighbor state, Kentucky. Two, in my head, uh, I kind of think of this as a little bit of a continuation, in a sense, from sort of the discussion where Kim Davis and what she had did in 2016 and how that sort of impacted things. Uh, So this is actually kind of, um, to me, I think this is a great, article and like discussion for tracking progress in state and local governments because here we have this individual who in all likelihood would this sort of thing wouldn't have happened even three or four years ago without uh the ruling of the supreme court on oberfeld v hayes uh long story short here uh so this actually started back in april of 2017 Uh, when Judge Mitchell Nance, who is the uh, judge for Barron and Metcalf counties in Kentucky, issued a a request of local lawyers saying, please inform me if you're representing any same-sex parents who are trying to uh, go through adoption hearings. He basically stated, as a man of... Uh, strict religious principles, I cannot 
reasonably be involved in these cases because 100% of the time I would rule against the same-sex parents because they are inadequate as parents. This kind of didn't actually make much waves until it started getting picked up about June or so, or excuse me, July, when they started taking a look at that original request. The Kentucky uh, Judicial Ethics Panel uh, eventually got in touch with him saying, we need to talk to you about this. This is not acceptable. We can't allow you to simply say, We're, I don't do this. It's it's the wedding cake. It is the wedding. All over again. It's the wedding cake on a on a um, employee of the government basis as opposed to just somebody in the public. But FYI, um, you know, I've personally adopted eight children here in the state of Indiana. <gasps> and imagine that. And when we were going through our adoptions back in the, the 90s um, and 2000s, um, early, um, it was not uncommon for, um, it was hard to find a judge. There were only two judges in the state of Indiana that would actually uh, uh, do gay adoptions or same parent adoptions. Mm-hmm. Um, and our same-sex parent adoption, and that was in Bloomington with Judge Talaferra, who's retired now, and another one up north. And so, you know, this has been going on for for some time, and I think it still continues to go on. Um, I, you know, I'm kind of out of the system, so I I don't talk to as many um, parents that are going through adoptions now and to see what difficulties they have. But it's it's happening here. Um, and, you know, the judges aren't being vocal about it. They're just not taking the cases. Mm-hmm. And so it leaves it to, you know, there, there's definitely advocate judges out there that are willing to, to take it. And it's becoming, you know, less and less an issue in, in different counties. But it's still an issue. T- take that a bit farther because you were actually asked to take children at one time, were you not? The first two back in, yeah, back in the day in 92, um, or 89 actually, um, yeah, the state came to me, but I was a single man and I didn't declare. Oh, okay. I was, you know, um, they assumed, um, I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But uh, yeah, it was, I mean, when I adopted them, I was definitely out at that point. But yeah, it it caused a lot of uh, issues. I mean, it was years. I mean, we had to fight hard. Um, once they kind of figured out stuff. But, yes, the state came to me and asked me if I would adopt these two boys. And then after they had found kind of four or five case managers later, some good ones, some bad ones, some good ones, um, and then people in the county um, with their prejudice and stuff caused a lot of problems and cost me a lot of money and emotional um, stress to to push it through. But, uh, you know, Judge Telfero and um, Steve Galvin, actually, he wasn't a judge at that time. He's now the county judge here. Um, but he was a uh, he represented the county at the time. I mean, they they were pretty supportive. It was a lot of other folks that were causing it. But so what I'm saying is that this is going on and it has been for some time. So, yes, it's similar to the 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 cake issue. But yes and no, it's it's you know, this is something that it's kind of a wink and judges pass on and say, well, I'm not doing this. 
And so I don't want us to kid ourselves thinking that, you know. And and I don't know. Here's like a mixed thought on this one. I'd prefer to know who my judge is that will that, that I can go up and represent. And here's, you know, this is why I should be the adoptive parent of these children and then look at, you know, my character, not, you know, my sexuality so much for that. And I think um, – that's kind of the mix, you know, cup here where you're, you you have someone that's, um, you know, that's prejudiced and, and has their biases. And you know, regardless of what I say and what proof they give the, the judge, uh, he or she may say no because I have issues there. So I'd prefer to know who my judge is, you know, going up here. So when I was reading this, I was like, hmm, you know, yes, bad but dude, <laughs> not nice. But at the same time, I'm like, you know, I'd like to know who they are. And this is sort of the thing that's interesting for me is, as you kind of say, Frankie, he's relatively open about his biases. The thing that I'm happy about, in a sense, from all of this is as the course kind of – or like all of this progressed and went through the various uh, legal systems and through the Kentucky Judicial Conduct Panel – one, they didn't let it go. Right. The the fact that he said, oh, this this is a non-issue. I, I'm going to just resign. Like, just forget about it. Let, let's just, you know, sweep it under the rug, water on the bridge. Like, let's just move on. First of all, they one, they moved up the ethics hearing to be – it took place between December 13th, I believe, and the 15th or 14th and 15th. So literally right before he was supposed to resign, and on the 15th, they actually gave their ruling, which, one, was a big public reprimand. Um, they they stated, first of all, that judicial conduct and – or the Kentucky Code of Judicial Conduct requires judges to fairly and impartially decide cases according to the law. The panel itself cited canons that require judges to promote public confidence in the integrity and impartiality of the judiciary and prohibiting prejudice based upon race, sex, religion, national origin, disability, age, sexual orientation, socioeconomic status, and others. And the fact that Judge Nance refused to hear and decide adoption cases involving homosexuals was a violation of that. So they actually say, no, it's not okay to resign. We're not going to sweep it under the rug. This ha- It has to be said. Right. This has to be said, that if you're going to work as a government employee, you kind of have to check your personal biases at the door. You, you ha- it sort of, um, we always kind of have that interpretation of, you know, lady justice is blind or however we want to articulate that. And they're actually saying, yeah, we, there is a public expectation of that. And we expect our judges to be impartial and actually provide that, especially because you are kind of, in a sense, playing with people's lives. No, you are. Do you feel now, Frankie, it is a more open forum with judges in Indiana I mean, that was 10 years ago. Um, has it changed a lot or, do, or? 
again, I think it depends on the county. I think it, there's still a lot of prejudice out there that, you know, I know couples that will go to different counties to, to do adoptions. You know, they won't even mess with their county. They'll go to the next county where they know there's, a, you know, a judge that will hear it and there will be less issues. So I don't know. I mean, again, I haven't um, had any couples recently contact me. Um, but I have to say the last three years, I've, I've heard of incidences where, um, you know, they've not only had issues with the judges, they had issues with the county as well. Um, but a lot of folks will, you know, come into Monroe County and request that their adoptions are done here because it, a lot of times it's it's going to be a lot smoother in trying to, to get that, you know, passed through. So I think there there is probably more prejudice going on than we realize. Um, I think attorneys are a lot smarter and they you know they they know who their judges are and where they want you know cases to be heard so um i think that's what's happening and maybe that's not that's why you're not hearing things like this that had happened in kentucky as often as because people i i'd be interesting to why this judge even came out about this if he has maybe you know want he wants to run for political office at right. some point he's trying to make a statement on it instead of just being hush hush about it where more, most judges would they just would you know not have an opinion one way or another mm-hmm. and do their thing so i'm thinking he has something else up and i expect to hear more from this guy yeah it, that's quite possible and one of the things that is sort of curious to me is that this was in a lot of ways had been sort of circulating around like some Midwest like local papers for a while. Uh, I first read about this in the Lexington Herald Leader and that was like um, I think the first article was in July then they picked it up again in October when the judicial panel said they were going to move around the dates to uh, deal with the fact that Judge Nance was planning on resigning and it, not until, like, last week that, like, all of a sudden, I think it was, like, the Washington Post, the L.A. Times, right. like, all these big national outlets start picking up this story. So I'm not sure to a certain degree, um, like, if if they're trying to kind of build this story as sort of, like, a narrative of progress or if it's just to sort of – in a kind of a roundabout way publicly shame a uh, official because he was, you know, derelicting his duty. He w- he wasn't doing his job. I, I wonder if he was a hero at home or if he was shamed because I, I bet maybe a lot of people looked at him as standing up for Christian values and, and looked at him as a hero. I would be interesting to see what his record are, stands on other things, and if this is a problematic judge, anyways, and this was just kind of their icing, you know, to try to get this guy pushed out. That he's caused other rifts within, you know, the judicial community, um, and that you know this is why it was pushed through. So, yeah, I, I'm curious, and I'm sure you know this won't be the only case we hear about in the United States Definitely or in the not. Midwest over the next few years. I think, to a certain degree, no, uh, oh, we'll evangelical <laughs> and uh, those with their strongly held beliefs, I believe, are a little bit more emboldened right now to sort of speak and act 
to represent their ideologies. Sounds like we've had quite a spirited discussion going already. Um, when we return, we will open up this discussion with our guest, Gene Kapler, to see if this recent decision in Kentucky is evidence of successful advocacy. But before that, we have a music break. So I'm kind of trying to keep myself a little restrained here because I get the pleasure of airing probably my favorite album of 2017, Heaven by Jamila Woods. She is a phenomenal performer and Chicago female MC, former poet, whose first album was released in this uh, this past fall. Woods has received a lot of attention for her lyrics. She is incredibly thought-provoking, very passionate, and a lot of people have actually been applying the label of protest music, air quotes included, to her various work. In a September 30th interview with NPR's Jane Gathright, Woods actually described herself, sort of how her music and she interact with political advocacy. Her quote was, I feel that might be unfair to people who actually spend a majority of their time putting their physical bodies in harm's way in order to make direct action. Uh, Which is to say, I think that's what an activist really is. She considers herself an organizer, somebody who creates space for marginalized voices to speak and be heard. She doesn't even really consider her own music protest music, but it doesn't have to encompass those things that force you to go out and take action. It can also encompass things that allow you to sit with yourself and feel validated in your emotions. So tonight we start off with Heaven by Jamil Woods off of the album Heaven.
listening to Heaven by Jamella Woods. We are now going to open up our previous discussion regarding systemic change in government as we welcome our guest, Jean Kapler, into the studio. Hi. Hi, Jean. First of all, how are you doing tonight? (laughs) I'm doing great, and I'm happy to be here with you all. Great. Fantastic. You get everything you wanted for Christmas? Oh, sure. Or Hanukkah? (laughs) (laughs) So, first, I, I guess, one... Let's just sort of open up the general discussion. Do you, do you think that sort of as we discussed the case of Judge Mitchell Nance or W. Mitchell Nance, uh, that is this kind of proof that state and local governments are making a concerted effort here to sort of change things and, you know, are things progressing? You know, listening to you all discuss this case, um, I was struck with with two main reactions. Uh, One was deep sadness and anger, and the other one was hope. I'm just appalled at the thought that, you know, according to this judge, uh, uh, same-sex couples should be faced with either... uh, no gays served here in this courtroom sign or take their chances and hope that whatever judge is working with their case is not a bigot and going to take that out on them. What a situation to be in. Um, That just both breaks my heart and angers me to no end. And hope by the fact that in Kentucky, uh, a, a, a body overseeing judges would not let this go and would not just sweep it under the carpet. And that, to me, is a sign of some progress. I think right now our culture is in the midst of a a huge growth stage. I'm hoping it's a growth stage. I I hope we navigate this and come out the other side intact. Um, But we're seeing so much pushback people that are going to see this judge as their hero and standing up for their religious freedom. Um, and yet our government entities, uh, uh, with some exceptions, are at least uh, generally moving towards um, a- a mandating some equality and protections for people. And that's encouraging. This would not have been addressed at all you know, five, ten years ago. Um, 
So at the same time, we are facing some major backsliding with what's happening in Washington, D.C., and there are still huge, huge swaths of the nation in our own state where judges are uh, prejudiced against various groups of people, um, where African Americans are uh, subject to police scrutiny and brutality in, in lots of places. I mean, we've got a long way to go as a culture, but so this is a little bit of a glimmer of hope in my perspective. Except, I, I agree completely, mm-hmm. but you know what? You touched on it just a bit. We are having um, from high. Mm-hmm more judges appointed all the time. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I think the cloth that they're cut from is more conservative and more likely to be mm-hmm. um, in line with this judge than than with a more liberal judge. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. will change the complexion more. We, we are not out of the woods yet. Um, and uh, with the Trump administration appointing very conservative judges, and in some cases not even qualified judges, uh, and and the Republican Congress, you know, rubber stamping a lot of this. Uh, there have been a few exceptions, but um, this is really disturbing. And um, these are lifetime appointments. Mm-hmm. So, Gene, I have a question for you. If I'm at home, I'm a listener, per se, and I hear about these individuals, the potential uh, Trump judicial appointees, individuals like Judge Nance. How do I become an ally either to the LGBTQ community or other communities, and what can I do to start helping my local and state communities? Number one is paying attention, uh, making sure we're informed about what's going on. And number two is making a conscious decision to be active about it, to not be quiet, to not let things just go by. And that can be scary and hard and oftentimes disappointing to take action. What kind of action? You know, well, everything from uh, writing a congressperson, if they have any th- anything to say about whatever the issue is, um, showing up at protests. And I know protests only go so far. Those public in the streets protests only go so far. They, But um, it brings attention to the issue. And um, there is a place in change for that kind of protest. It can't be the end point, though. Right. Um, it may be writing letters to the editor. It may be testifying in, at a congressional hearing um, and and talking to your neighbors about it and getting them to be active. Um, I, I, I think we cannot, democracy cannot keep functioning if we stay home and stay quiet. I think that's a fantastic point. I think the interesting thing that's going on now is that, you know, this administration and what's going on up in Washington and even locally is that it there's something for everybody mm-hmm. <laughs> this time around. It's not just the GBLTQ 
plus community. It's women. It's, mm -hmm. um, you know, religion, mm -hmm. religious rights. It's um, you name it. And so I think what can, you know, what will hopefully bring this together and we'll see something unique 2018 is that, you know, we can join hands through a lot of groups. And that's what I hope to see is that more of that mm -hmm. where the African-American and the, the gay community mm -hmm. and, you know, whoever can come together and realize this affects because it's always, you know, people take a stance. It's not me, mm -hmm. not my issue. Mm -hmm. So I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to read about it. It's not, you know, it's kind of like taxes, what's mm -hmm. going on now. Um, and so hopefully, you know, through um, – through people just wanting to be involved and, and finding their place that there's going to be an interest, a larger, and it's happening. And that's what I'm finding exciting is mm -hmm. that where I think people went to sleep through the Obama administration and thought, oh, we got mm -hmm. it. And there was a lot going on. Mm -hmm. um, and then we all wake up and it's like, surprise, you know, mm -hmm. the boogeyman is here. Mm -hmm. and, and we're all walking around. It's like, what just happened? Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, you know, that's what I'm excited about is just seeing that, that us becoming more of a community. Mm -hmm. Cause I think mm -hmm. we have so many, so many individualized, um, you know, situations arising. Absolutely. And I think this kind of goes a little bit too with, uh, some of the academic progression of these topics, because heck, when I was first getting into college, I, had never heard the term intersectionality before. Now I feel like um, in a lot of ways, especially when you're working with activists and- Why don't you explain what that is because some of the listeners might not know. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. So intersectionality in a sense is where um, sort of advocacy for a marginalized group might kind of have multiple uh, vectors that are similar. So- uh, perhaps uh, a black uh, woman might be both advocating for, you know, greater respect between the African-American community and the police, like the law and order police community. Additionally, she would all, perhaps also be advocating for women's rights, gender equality, things like that. Similarly, the LGBTQ community in a lot of ways, I think, has almost uh, captured intersectionality in a sense of th that's almost their mantra. It, it is, you know, it, they're a community of communities in a sense, and that uh, progress for one is in many ways progress for all, hopefully. Thank you for that. Um, we're gonna, um, going to put this discussion on hold for a moment while we're doing events and weather at the top of the hour. This is listener-supported WFHB, Bloomington, Bedford, Ellettsville, and Nashville, community radio for South Central Indiana, and online at wfhb.org. Right now, the weather in Bloomington is 20 degrees Fahrenheit, Tonight, the low will get to 11 degrees. On Friday, tomorrow, there is a 30% chance of snow with a high of 25 and a low of 17 tomorrow night. On Saturday, there's a 20% chance of snow with a high of 20 and a low of 2 degrees Saturday night. We have a few events coming up. The Bloomington Pride Film Festival is the... 
uh, explores the lives and experiences of the LGBTQ plus community through feature length and short films and live performances that advocate community-wide attitudes of awareness, acceptance, and appreciation of diversity. The event will be held from Thursday, January 25th to Saturday the 27th at the Buskirk Chumley Theater. You can check out bloomingtonpride.org backslash events for more details. In conjunction with that, the GLBTAA Gay, Lesbian, Bisexual, and Transgender Alumni Association is having their 10th annual celebration weekend. There will be two events as part of the celebration. On Friday, January 26th, there will be a reception at the Tudor Room in the IMU from 4 to 6 p.m., and it will include the GLBTAA scholarship presentations and the Distinguished Alumni Award. On Saturday, January 27th, there will be another reception from 4 to 6 p.m. that will include the annual fundraiser with the silent auction benefiting the scholarship program. Now back to Blooming Out here on WFHB. Welcome back to Blooming Out. Tonight's guest is Bloomington 2016 Woman of the Year, co-founder of organizations such as Fair Talk, Call to Action, Jean Kapler. Hi. Jean, thanks for being with us. I have known you for multiple years, and through that entire time, I have known you to be a tireless advocate. Would you share with us some of your evolution, some of the past things you have worked on, and what happened with that, and where you are now, and how you are carrying the struggle forward? Mm. Okay, well, let's see. Um, I've been in Bloomington since 1992, and I came out here to be a biologist. <laughs> and, you know, I wasn't all that political. I voted. I, I I liked to have that right to vote, and I exercised that when, when elections came around. Um, and I would write the uh, occasional letter to uh, my representative or senator. Um, but somewhere along the line, I, I switched fields into social work. And in social work, uh, this is a field that um, is very focused on uh, values of social justice and equality and inclusion of all people and valuing the worth of everyone. And that's very in line with what my values are. And I just hadn't actualized them um, other than just in my personal dealings with people. And so social work, kind of got me thinking more about um, what I can do to influence the world. I've done psychotherapy counseling for a lot of years, um, both in agencies and private practice, um, and I got into teaching some courses at IU School of Social Work. I was doing that part-time. Um, and I just, in all of these positions, I'm seeing more and more how systems don't work for people and how uh, people that are really good people get cast aside or have fingers pointed at them if they happen to have an addiction. Or, and, you know, I, I got less and less able to tolerate that. Um, and as a lesbian who was in a long-term relationship, drove me nuts that I didn't have the option of getting married and that there are no legal protections in this state for people who identify as lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender. Um, 
And, you know, it's just not fair. <laughs> it's right. not the way it, – that's not the society I want to live in. And so as I went along, I, I think I just got more and more fed up with tolerating the intolerable and these injustices. And um, it, it was actually the effort in 2011, uh, the Indiana House and Senate passed the the first time through, passed the anti-marriage equality amendment uh, here in Indiana and would write discrimination into the Constitution. And that was my breaking point. I'm like, I cannot live in this state if this actually goes through. And um, that's where I started to really find my voice. And that's when I started uh, Fair Talk uh, with a friend of mine. And um, we went from there. And, and I discovered that taking action and speaking up feels really good. It's freeing. It's hard work. And it's scary. And it really pushed me past, you know, my comfort zone a lot of times. But um, it felt right. And so, you know, I've, I've been active since then. That's kind of my evolution from studying turtles to activism. <laughs> what kind of pushback have you had? I mean, this sounds like it's all progress, and thank you for all mm-hmm. the work. What um, shadows fell across your path during this time? You know, Fair Talk was based on having conversations with people that don't agree with you about things, uh, specifically about LGBT rights and marriage rights. Um, And so I had a lot of people say, you know, I had good conversations with some people, but they were painful Mm -hmm. to listen to all the things. And I already knew a lot of what they were going to say, but it's still painful to hear that. And, um, you know, even recently, I was in a, um, a class on the Constitution, and it was a mixed bag of conservatives and liberals and everything in between. And in that class, I, I heard a class member where we were talking about the marriage equality case, um, uh, talking about, you know, well, what about um, people marrying their dogs? And that was a couple of years since I was uh, able to marry my wife, and and I'd kind of I wasn't expecting to hear it again, even though I know intellectually that it's out there still. I wasn't expecting to hear it again in person, and it blindsided me, wrecked my night. Um, and so there's the the personal pushbacks, and then you know there's there's uh, just. The, the defeats along the way, we have so far to go. Mm-hmm. And last year's uh, election in November was one of the low points of my life. Um, and because it felt like that was a major pushback. All the progress that we have made was just, it just riled everything up and here now we have what we have. And um, so after I re- covered from that sort of, I decided I can't sit on the sidelines and I'm going to fight and push back against, you know, the assault on everything that I care about, whether it's um, LGBT rights or, you know, health care or whatever it is, um, immigrant rights, um, you know, enriching the rich even more. And, but I had to 
accept the fact that we're going to lose some battles. We are. We just did with this tax scam. Um, there are people that are going to die because of that because it also gets rid of the mandate and some folks are not going to be able to afford their insurance and they will die as we are working for progress and as we are pushing back. But what else are we going to do? And how do you... Okay, so I think probably the four of us are are in agreement with, with all that you've said, but I know so much of Indiana and the U.S., would say, oh my God, no! Thank God we have mm-hmm. we have who we have, mm-hmm. and that things are going the way they are going. Mm-hmm. And how to how do we bring other mm-hmm. people into the fold? You know, first, what I would say is that there's a narrative that you know the country elected Trump. This is the direction we're going. Except that three million more people voted for the other candidate, the main party candidate, and then a whole chunk of other people voted for third-party candidates. The majority of America did not vote for Trump. Um, If you look at Indiana and, uh, you know, you survey the population, we tend to lean Republican amongst our population, but it's it's not reflective of the proportions we have in the state house right now with supermajorities in both the House and the Senate. We are not as deeply read as our legislature might suggest. And so I have to have faith in that, that there are more um, progressive and or middle-of-the-road folks out there than our legislator, legislature and the state shows but we've got major gerrymandering. I mean, we are up against some institutionalized, the system is rigged, and it's rigged to support the Republicans, and that's why the Republicans have control of the majority of state houses and both houses of Congress and the White House right now. Um, But that's not going to change unless we do something about it, unless we keep working for change. So we keep supporting efforts to get rid of gerrymandering to, uh, you know, there's a court case that's going to be heard in the Supreme Court. And I don't like the composition of the Supreme Court, but we're back to where we were with Scalia on the court. Mm -hmm. Um, And we won some major victories in that composition. So... But bottom line, you know what? Even with gerrymandering, if people would turn out to vote, we have like in most in midterm elections in Bloomington, we had something like 15 percent turn out to vote at the last midterms. That's ridiculous. Bloomington. If people will get out to vote and if each of us takes responsibility for educating our neighbors or our friends or our, our family member that always votes Republican and have some conversations, maybe it's a series of conversations. Maybe we never budge them, but maybe we do budge the next person. We can change this, but we won't do it sitting at home saying we can't do anything. So what are you doing personally? I know you're going out and you're talking, but what are you mm-hmm. kind of doing? What am I doing? Yeah, what are you doing? <laughs> what am I doing? <laughs> well, I am uh, helping with campaigns of candidates that I support 
and I make phone calls, and I've done canvassing. I've also gotten involved with another group called Hoosier Action, and that I am so excited about. Hoosier Action is a, a grassroots group that's focused on organizing and building political power in southern Indiana, at least for now in southern Indiana, um, to, number one, flip the ninth District U.S. Congress District, Number two, start chipping away at that supermajority in both houses of our state house. And it's doing it by having conversations and building relationships with, with people to help them learn that they can have power by organizing and banding together. And this is going through the midterms, but beyond that. And I'm so hopeful with that. We will come back to our interview with Gene Kaplan after a short music break. Coming up is the track Holy by Jamal Woods off her album Heaven. Give me today my daily bread. Help me to walk alone ahead. Though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no love. Oh, my smile, my mind reassure me I don't need no one. Woke up this morning with my mind set on loving me. With my mind set on loving me. Woke up this morning with my mind set on loving me. With my mind set on loving me. I'm not lonely. may not hey the map of your palms the temple you be you're all that you got hey the bad days may come the lover may leave the winter may not hey the map of your palms the temple you be you're all that you got though i walk through the darkest valley i will fear no
You've been listening to Holy by Jamala Woods off of the album Heaven. We now return to our discussion with LGBT social worker advocate and philanthropist Jean Kapler. Hi. Hey. Gene, hey, you you talked about some of the shadows that have fallen across your path. Um, let's have some victories. Mm. So I've been really encouraged by this election season, um, you know, by some close uh, almost victories in some deeply red states and then by some actual victories in some deeply red states, most recently Alabama. But if we look at progress for the LGBT community, um, we've got a lot of firsts that have happened recently, um, just this past November. So uh, probably the most well-publicized victory was Danica Rome, uh, the first uh, transgender woman elected to the Virginia House of Delegates. Um, And what was so satisfying about that race was the guy that she defeated, this incumbent who had held the seat for years, was the Republican who had actually introduced the bathroom bill in Virginia. (laughs) And then she beat him, talking about roads and highways and, like, basic issues. And that that said a lot about, you know, what people are interested in. That's a change. You know, uh, several a uh, number of years ago, I don't know that we would have seen that victory. Um, Allison Isley Freeman uh, won in Oklahoma in a very conservative district for state Senate seat, defeating an incumbent Republican. Um, Andrea Jenkins is a trans woman of color who's now on the Minneapolis City Council. Now, yes, Minneapolis is a pretty progressive city, but still, that's a first. Um, Ty- this, I think this race was really important. Tyler Titus is an openly trans guy who got a seat on the Erie uh, School Board. And, I mean, a trans man yeah, on a, a school board. A Talk deal. about voices at right. the table. And, you know, that's important, um, especially when we're talking about our kids. Uh, Jenny Durkham is Seattle's first lesbian mayor now. And Lisa Middleton is a trans woman who won a city council seat in Palm Springs. So, I mean, those are pretty significant. And if you look at the other races, we had so many women and people of color get elected to seats, a lot of firsts around the nation. Do you think um, because of kind of Trump mania that a lot of these people might have not stepped up at that Mm -hmm. point, even though maybe, you know, people were more comfortable mm-hmm. and where they were and where things were going and just like you know why do i need to get involved and then all of a sudden you know trump gets in mm-hmm. the tides change dramatically mm-hmm. and then within the trump administration you're seeing this kind of that maybe floodwaters is too strong of mm-hmm. a word but of you know the gbltq community coming out and winning elections mm-hmm. or at least getting out there and running for office so do you see that as kind of the cherry on the top of donald <laughs> <laughs> oh that image yeah. um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, i i i see this is the way we save our democracy um I, unfortunately, apparently things had to get really, really bad before people got energized. Right. And Donald Trump in the White House is really, really bad. Um, 
So, yeah, and the organizations that work on, uh, you know, recruiting women and people of color, uh, minorities, um, it, to run for office have seen a huge upsurge in interest. Um, Emerge is uh, an organization that specifically recruits progressive women to run for office, and they've had to add trainings, and um, they're looking at, we're trying to get a chapter here in Indiana. I just went to sort of a taste of Emerge training uh, a couple weeks ago. There's huge interest. They've had to add more sessions because of the interest, and that's encouraging. This Democracy, somebody said, Democracy is not a spectator sport, and it is much more than, yes, definitely vote, but it's much more than that. Not everybody has to run for office, but I think more people should think about it, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I I ran for an open city council seat back in July, August. Um, when a city council member retired, um, I was one of the candidates for that seat. Uh, it was a much shortened process. Um but it was a really good process, and it opened my eyes to what that looks like. And, you know, I plan to run for an office in the future. Um, right now I'm working on some other campaigns mm-hmm. for people. But, you know, yeah. And also just activism in general has had a resurgence. Um I started with a friend of mine, a group called Call to Action, which is primarily a secret Facebook group, but it's designed to help people stay motivated to take regular daily action on issues that they care about. We don't set the agenda, but we're all progressive. Um, uh, We don't have any Trump fans in the group because it's not about debating. This group is about action. And we went from starting like in December of last year um, just doing a little call-out meeting and getting the Facebook page set up. And within like a month and a half, we had 1,300 members. And people want to take action. And I've had so many people say, I've never contacted my legislator before, and I am now, and now it's easy. Or I've never talked to them in person and made an appointment and gone in, but I did. And, you know, it wasn't that bad, and it was actually good. Um, there's also a lot of frustration in doing the work. You know, I I call Trey Hollingsworth on a regular basis, and I talk to his staff, and same thing with Todd Young and, and Joe Donnelly. And, you know, um, uh, oftentimes I'm getting better responses from Donnelly's office. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't agree with him on some things either. But, you know, Hollingsworth, I don't know. I don't think that he really cares what I have to th- say. So I see it as my civic duty to at least annoy him with my opinion. <laughs> you know, right. um, let his office know that there are a lot of people out here that are against this tax scam that he voted for and a lot of other things he's voting for. I I think there are conversations that need to happen, and I think it's so encouraging to hear how many people are becoming polarized to a cause, but I think think polarization is going on both sides because Mm -hmm. I think to a degree there is social engineering and there there is a division between... Mm -hmm. Republican, I'll say Republican Mm -hmm. and Democrat, but let's say conservative and liberal, Mm -hmm. that is um, fed to each side. And Mm -hmm. I think to be successful, you you have to have conversations, but there has Mm -hmm. to be a way to bridge 
the gap because the information they hear and the information you hear are different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no common facts. I mean, it used to be before this age of polarization and social media where nothing's filtered um, that there were Republicans and Democrats or conservatives and liberals that could at least agree on the same basic facts. They might have different interpretations of what those facts meant or what we should do about those facts or how we're going to fix the problem. But at least they could agree on some basic facts. And science had merit and was seen as legitimate. And now we have people that are deliberately trying to undermine science and undermine the press and, you know, undermine the basics of how do we live in a rational society and make good decisions. Undermine the language that can yeah. be used. Yeah, the very language. And so there, there's two, in my mind, there's two different approaches. There's the political action that we must take to hold the line as best we can. Um, and that's calling your representative's office and saying what you think, even though they don't sometimes care. Um, it's showing up in the streets. It's doing all that direct action. But then there's how do we talk to the people in our lives? Mm-hmm. And that's, that's what I was referring that to. That is so crucial. And it's so hard. Right now, I, I've got a cousin who has both unfriended me and blocked me on Facebook. Welcome to the, the team. <laughs> we had a conversation that, that <laughs> went Welcome, off the rails. I, I know that team well. Dean, we're going to get ready to close in about 30 seconds, but I wanted to know if somebody wants to contact you and they want to get involved or they want to contact somewhere, mm-hmm. do you have a website or an email? That's- mm-hmm. You know, um, it, you can look me up on Facebook, Gene Kapler, C-A-P-L-E-R, J-E-A-N, and I keep my sittings pretty open, so you should be able to find me. Um, you can email me at gene, J-E-A-N, dot Kapler, C-A-P as in Paul, L-E-R, at gmail.com. Great. Well, thank you for that. It looks like it's uh, that time of night where we bring things to an end. Let's take a moment and t- thank our special guest, Gene. Thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having we me. We love here. having you. Um, additional thanks to all of our listeners and volunteers who make this possible. Blooming Out is produced by Alex Ashkin. Our executive producer is WFHB News Director Wes Martin. Jesse Grubb is our engineer for Blooming Out and WFHB. I'm Rachel Jones. I'm Frankie Preslaff. And I'm Alex Ashkin. Tune in next week for a brand new episode of Blooming Out. Every Thursday from 6, well, I should correct this. We're going to a new time. Next Thursday, right. we'll be airing at 6 to 7 p.m. on WFHB, volunteer-powered community radio for South Central Indiana. Blooming Out, Indiana's only LGBTQ plus radio program, airs every Thursday evening here on WFHB at 5.30 p.m. You can also stream us 24 hours a day, seven days a week on WFHB.org or BloomingOut.com. Thank you for listening. Please tune in again next week to Blooming Out.